For our first podcast of 2021, we introduce you to the CEOs of two deeply inspirational nonprofits. Both talk to us about resilience. Now that we're all looking for ways to bounce back from the longest year on record, resilience has become something of a buzzword and a major topic of interest. But to take it from concept to reality, that's the key here. What are some ways to instill resilience among the teams we're leading? How do we foster it among family, friends, and the people around us that need it most? That's some of what we'll dig into today. I'm your host, Nancy Anderson, and in this episode of the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast, we talk to author, Marine, and Team Rubicon founder, Jake Wood. Linda Descano, Executive Vice President of Red Havas US, talks to Jake about his latest book, Once a Warrior, and gains valuable insights on how to communicate effectively as a leader and inspire confidence to overcome adversity. Then, stick around for my conversation with Gus Worland, founder and director of Gotcha for Life. He joins us for the Red Questionnaire and a conversation around mental fitness, including how to have a conversation of gravity with the people we're engaging and what we can all do to start rewriting the rules around mental health. But first, Linda, tell us a bit more about your conversation with Jake. So Nancy, my conversation with Jake was, was fascinating on so many levels. Um, as you mentioned, you know, he's a, an entrepreneur, he's CEO of Team Rubicon, he is um, a former Marine Corps soldier, and he's the author of two books, one that came out um, in November of 2020 called Once a Warrior, a memoir that really talks about how he, as a veteran, found a new mission closer to home and really talks about the founding of, of Team Rubicon. And uh, he published another book in 2014 on leadership, and it's called Take Command Lessons in Leadership. And, and what Jake did is really talk to us about leadership resiliency. Um, you know, how can leaders sort of navigate periods of certainty? Um, you know, that, that, that we've all gone through over the past year, what it takes to lead effectively, build an organization with purpose and, and you know, how to keep your, your employees engaged. And, and as he said, what's right is always right and what's wrong is never right. Um, he's just, you know, such a, a, a fascinating interview and, and voice you know, on the topics of leadership, organization, culture, and, and social issues. Um, he also talked a little bit about what uh, prompted him to write Once a Warrior, which looks, you know, inside the heart and mind of like a, a modern combat veteran, and about yeah. Team Rubicon, which is a nonprofit that mobilizes veterans to respond to large-scale disasters and humanitarian crisis. Um, they, their first response was in 2010 to the Haiti earthquake. And today, more than 130,000 volunteers, um, also known as gray shirts, that work across the US and they have launched more than 700 response operations, both in the US and around the world. And, you know, our show notes will include, you know, links to Team Rubicon's website, as well as to his um, two bucks, but, but definitely some great takeaways for you know, all of our listeners who are interested in cultivating their leadership competency. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just such great work that they're doing. It's admirable work that we're doing. And we're certainly honored uh, to have him on our podcast. Uh, so with that, I'll tee it up and let you guys take it from here. Thanks, Nancy. 
Um, so Jake, first of all, welcome to the Red Sky Feel for Thought podcast. We're really excited to have you joining us today. I'd like to start and ask you to speak about your experience in the Marine Corps, which was really critical to your success as a leader and as an entrepreneur. So maybe you could start by telling us like, what were the three, four, five leadership principles that you learned in the Marine Corps that have been valuable to you as a leader? Oh man, that's a, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's great to join you for the, for the podcast today. Um, that's a, that's a big question. I, I credit almost everything I know about leadership to my time in the Marine Corps. And that's not to say that I learned everything I needed to uh, while I was in the Marines and leading Marines in combat, but it certainly provided me with, I think, the most important foundational elements for, for who I've become. Um, so what were the top three or four takeaways? I think one of the things I learned early in my time in Iraq, I, I deployed twice. I deployed to Iraq in 2007 as part of the surge and later to Afghanistan in 2008 and served in, in frontline combat roles in both. Um, in, in, in Iraq, I had to grow up as a leader really, really fast because about two weeks into my deployment there, my squad leader was wounded and sent home and I was promoted and given charge of that, of that squad of Marines. And you know, I, as, as prepared as I was for that deployment, I, I don't think I, I knew every, I didn't, I wasn't ready to, to lead 13 Marines during the bloodiest year of the war. Um, the first thing was about a week or so after my squad leader was wounded, my unit was ambushed and, and I witnessed some really extraordinary acts of, of heroism uh, during that fight. And I was reflecting upon what I'd witnessed a, a couple days later and I think everybody at a certain point thinks about where courage comes from. And when, in, when thinking about what I saw, you know, I, I really I realized that leadership at its core is just about love. Uh, it's about loving the people that you, that you lead, that you're responsible for. It's about truly caring about who they are, where they come from, what brought them to that moment in time where they're on your team, uh, pursuing your mission. And I think just as importantly, knowing and understanding and caring about where they want to go with the rest of their life and, and how you as a leader can shepherd them on that journey. And so what's that have to do with courage? Well, I think if you can really build a foundation of leadership that focuses on love and, and, and teams that, that understand that they have that true caring for one another, that really creates this sense of safety for that team. People feel that they're going to be taken care of. They feel like their leader is going to have their back, that their peers are going to have their back. And that's what unlocks courage, that sense of safety. And it's really weird to think about that, you know, that safety is what unlocks courage on a battlefield, because of course it's mortal danger that requires the courage to begin with, but that safety is always relative. And so though these Marines that I was witnessing, you know, demonstrate this courage were risking their lives and, and there was true mortal danger present, that safety was relative because they knew that if they went down, you know, running across that field, that there were going to be a dozen Marines that were going to line up to go and get them. And so they had this sense of psychological safety in doing that. Um, so I think that that's probably the most foundational lesson that I, that I really learned about leadership is that it's, it's really just about love at its core. And that unlocks so many other beautiful things for teams. You know, beyond that, leadership is really about accountability. Uh, it's about holding others accountable. It's about holding yourself accountable um, to the highest levels. And then finally, you know, one of the things I often I share with teams when I when I speak about leadership is that 
you know, le leaders are nothing if they don't have virtue. Um, you know, you, leaders are going to be leading these teams in moments that are going to require complex decisions to really ambiguous situations where suddenly things that may appear black and white appear to be gray. And one of the, one of the best leaders I ever served was my team leader in Afghanistan. And in Afghanistan, I served as a scout sniper, which was a, a very challenging mission during a, a really challenging year of the war. And, and in so many ways, um, morally ambiguous as we were tasked with going out and, co and conducting this mission every single day. And my, my, my team leader, you know, the one thing he promised us was that we were never going to violate our integrity in any way. We were never going to make a decision that encroached upon our honor and integrity. And my current COO at Team Rubicon, a gentleman named Art Delacruz, he puts it a different way. Um, he says that what's right is always right and what's wrong is never right. And I think all too often there are these moments where the decisions, the strategies may be ambiguous. There may, it may not be black and white what the right or wrong strategic decision is, but the right decision, what is actually right as far as what's morally right, what's right within the values that you've espoused as an organization, that's always black and white. And as a leader, don't ever try to make it gray. And all too often I see leaders try to make those things gray and it's just a, it's a failure in leadership. Well, I'd love to build on what you just said because 2020 was like the ultimate test yeah. for leaders, right? Across every like aspect of society, a test that continues to manifest itself sure. between the response and the issues that, that the <clears throat> pandemic brought, the issues around social inequity and injustice, um, sparked by the uh, George Floyd murder to just what was happening in, in the election. Um, you know, were there, you know, were there leaders that you watched that inspired you in terms of how they responded, um, you know, to these challenges in over the, the, the past year and that continue to manifest themselves? And, you know, as, as you've been now in the private sector world, are you seeing a, a change in societal expectations about the role of business in dealing with some of these issues? Yes, uh, to both. The, you know, I think that as, as demoralizing as 2020 was, as uh, repugnant as some of the, the things we witnessed were, there were moments of inspiration. I, you know, I, I don't want this to sound like a cop-out, but I was, I was continuously inspired by leaders within my organization you know, who were operating at a tactical level, um, doing the right thing consistently, despite the challenges, um, because their community needed them to. And that's, you know, doing the right thing in the face of hard circumstances, it's really simple, but it's really hard to do, you know? And so I was, I was inspired consistently by that. And, and, you know, without being able to recall any of the names, I think we can all remember some of the images of uh, whether it was local mayors or local police chiefs, you know, joining arm in arm with protesters after the George Floyd killing, um, you know, taking a, a politically vulnerable position to, to do what was right uh, and to demonstrate alongside, uh, you know, their, their fellow citizens, you know, police officers who were willing to take a knee alongside those protesters and acknowledge that uh, the policing system in Minneapolis had failed their community. I mean, that's a, that's a morally courageous thing to do uh, in a polarized society that we have. 
And so I, I looked at those photos and I thought, you know, that's, that's the type of person that I would follow to hell with water, water pistols, because um, that's the type of leadership that we need. And, and so do companies and business leaders have kind of a, a, a new obligation in 2020, 2021, really this, just this 21st century that we live in? And I think, yes, you know, companies are no longer simply engines uh, that are a means to an economic end. They, they are so entwined you know, societally that they have an obligation to take stances. And I think that there's still, there's still a, a large portion of the population who disagrees, who, who does simply view them as, as engines of economic output. But you know, I think if you look at you know, the internet uh, and specific companies on the internet like Facebook that have simply become a part of our lives in ways that you know, the Rockefellers you know, the Vanderbilts, these other titans of industry, you know, they, they weren't like, yes, oil and, and railroads, they were, they were critical drivers of American life, but they weren't so fundamentally intertwined with who we were. And so I do think that it requires a new playbook for, for executives today. Um, and part of that is just simply the, if nothing else, the demographic shift and the expectations of the next generation of workers. So if you're going to fail to adapt, you're going to fail to attract and retain, you know, the next generation of talent. So it's really, if nothing else, it's about survival. There's been so much discussion around the resurgence of purpose, right? And purpose driven um, uh, behavior, because it's not just what the communities at large are expecting, but it's the talent in your organization, the talent that you want to attract. And numerous studies have found the connection that purpose driven organizations often also perform better. Right? We know consumers want to, want to buy from companies that share their values. So how have you been able to cultivate a, a culture of purpose within Team Rubicon, given how broad your, your, um, your organizational base is? And you know, are there some lessons learned that you would share about what it takes to effectively have people motivated, inspired, and engaged you know, in that same purpose with you? Yeah, you know, I think it's, um, <clears throat> I think people often assume it's just really easy for a charity or a nonprofit organization that's as mission-driven as Team Rubicon to cultivate that sense of purpose. And, and in some ways they're, they're right. You know, we, we respond to disasters. We help people on their worst day. It, it's, it's kind of hard to not feel a sense of belonging and purpose and higher, you know, higher calling as you're a part of that. But I think, I think that there are some basic things that any leader, any organization can do to help cultivate that same thing, regardless of whether or not they're responding to disasters or if they're selling insurance or a local, locally made you know, product. Um, so how do you do it? Well, there's a couple of things. I, I, think, I think having a vision for what your organization is aiming to accomplish is, is critical. I mean, setting a vision is, is kind of leadership 101, but when thinking about a vision, it's it's really, you know, is it is it bold? Is it simple? Is it inspiring? Um, and and again, you don't have to be in a naturally inspiring line of work for that to happen. I, I mentioned, you know, you could be selling insurance. You know, you could set a vision as a, an insurance agency that uh, we're gonna, you know, have the highest grossing, you know, insurance agency in in our market. Or you can say 
we're going to protect the livelihoods of our neighbors by ensuring that they have the financial security to weather any unforeseen circumstance that life might throw their way. And when you reframe it that way, it's like, wow, like, okay, I'm going to help my neighbors from going bankrupt in case their, their house gets hit by a tornado. Like that's something I can wake up every day and, and get behind. Um, you know, beyond that, you know, you have to make sure that you can set as bold and ambitious and inspiring a, a vision and mission as, as you can. But if, if you're not actually then aligning every single decision, every action, every resource behind it, you know, if you create a disconnect between what you say you want to accomplish and then the way that you conduct your business, people are going to see it for what it is. They're going to see it as, you know, hey, you, you spent 15 minutes at a whiteboard and came up with something cool and crafty for a vision, but you really don't actually have the fortitude to see it through. And that's not going to inspire anybody. That's not going to drive purpose into your organization. And they're going to see right through that. And then finally, I spend a lot of time talking about this next thing, which is storytelling. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, this podcast, it's probably full of, of storytellers that are listening, but I think that this is one of the most underutilized tool tools in, in, in any leader's toolkit. When I think about organizations, I think about stories. I think, you know, any organization, any team, any company is really nothing more than a story. Their vision is that final chapter. Their team is, is you know, the characters within it. And like any story, there are protagonists, there's antagonists, there's drama, there's, you know, twists and turns and, you know, the plot, you know, goes every which way. And your people are the most important element of it. And, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about storytelling and you're thinking about your people, at the end of the day, every human being on this planet, they, they want to be a hero. You know, whether they admit it or not, when they close their eyes at night, they imagine themselves a part of a story. It might be your story. It might be some other story. It might be based in reality. It might be based in fantasy. But they, they, they picture themselves in that story. And nobody pictures themselves as some inconsequential character, right? True. And, and, so as, and so as leaders, we can treat people like inconsequential characters in the story of our organization, or we can treat them like heroes. And what happens is if you treat them like heroes, they'll start acting like heroes. They'll close their eyes and they'll imagine how they can impact the, you know, the narrative arc of your company and help you accomplish that final chapter. But if you treat them as some unnamed character on page 56, that's how they're going to show up to work every day. I, I love that. And so just to carry that forward, um, what, would your, what are your favorite questions to ask to those that you lead? Now, how do you signal through the questions you ask what type of leadership behavior and energies you want people to bring to the table? Well, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't know that I have a, a prescribed set of questions that I use to probe people. I, I, you know, I think I, I try to read people and ask the questions that they want to be asked, which I think is, is probably a little bit more important. But I think most importantly, it's not about the questions that you ask. It's about how you ask them and what you do after you ask them. Um, you know, you, there, are there are way too many leaders who, who ask the perfunctory questions that, that they're supposed to ask people, you know, whether it's you know, in the hiring process or whether it's even just on a Monday morning and you, you show up at the water cooler and you ask somebody, hey, how was your weekend? But they can tell right away whether you actually care. Whether, whether you're tuning them out as soon as they start telling you about their kid's softball game or, you know, the, the deck that they were building in their backyard. Um, and so I think it's, it's not as much the question as, as how you listen to people, how you reflect back what you're hearing from people, and how you internalize it and circle, circle back to that answer, you know, one week, one month, one year later to demonstrate that, hey, I actually, I heard you. And, and I'm revisiting what we talked about because I, you know, I want to demonstrate that I really care about what you told me. 
And so uh, that's how that's how I would I think approach that. You know, and how do I get the behaviors that I that I want to see out of my out of my team? I tell them. <laughs> I tell <laughs> I tell every single person that we hire. I, I do I do their first half hour of onboarding. And I tell them that there's, there's three traits that I want to see them demonstrate every single day when they show up to work. The first one's initiative. We've got too much going on to, for people to be sitting around waiting to be told what to do. Second one is tenacity. It ain't worth starting something if you can't finish it, regardless of obstacles, regardless of resources. And the last one's enthusiasm. Don't be an asshole. Be the type of person with that infectious enthusiasm that people can't wait to see on Monday morning when they're waking up. Be that person that people go to work so that they can be around. Um, and if you can do those three things consistently, you're going to have a shot at having a really successful time at Team, Ur team Rubicon. I, I love that. And I think they, those are principles we can bring to any organization in yeah. terms of how we behave. You know, Jake, you recently released a new book called Once a Warrior, um, around, and you wanted it to come out around the time of the election. You know, I'd love to, you know, hear from you, like, what's your message to those listening to our podcast today or those who I, I hope will, like me, uh, purchase your book and read it because it, it's it's super fascinating. You know, what what do you want them to take away? Yeah, I think that there were a couple of, of things that I, I really wanted readers to walk away with. The first was just the potential that these military veterans coming back from these tiresome wars have for our society. You know, we we just got done with one of the most contentious elections in the history of the United States of America, maybe the most. Uh, I wasn't around for the first couple hundred years, so I, I can't really attest. But and on top of that, during just the, one of the most um, bizarre years, chaotic years in in, in recent memory, and and I and I look at the the ten plus million veterans living in our communities all across the country, and I think these are individuals who who we can turn to to lead us through these moments. And then I think building upon that, I think that uh, many Americans are wondering what the future holds for this country um, and, and really globally for the world. And, and, I, and I want, at least for Americans who are listening, I want people to believe that our best days are still ahead of us and not, not behind us, and as, as I suspect many people fear. And I think that the stories of service and selflessness in you know, Team Rubicon, in the men and women that I served with overseas, I think that they can demonstrate just what we're capable of, but that future is far from written in stone. We have to want it. We have to work for it tirelessly every day. Um, and I hope that all of my fellow Americans and global citizens will join me in working towards it. Uh, what I, I, I took away, it's just that, that sense of community, collaboration to your point, um, service and selflessness that we can't be about me, right? It has to be mm -hmm. about we. And your story helped, I think, for, for me, just reground why it is so important for us to set aside our differences and focus on our commonalities. And we have such major issues facing the U.S., but facing the world. Yeah. You know, the pandemic is, is just one of them. Um, and that we, you know, we will never survive or thrive economically, health-wise, as communities without you know that sense of we have to really remember and regain our ability to have discourse and disagreement civilly yeah. but not losing sight of, of what the end in mind so jake as we close out the pod this segment of the podcast um tell us about what um team rubicon's priorities are for 2021 yeah well i, I think one of the 
One of the most important things people have to realize as we start this new year is that 2021 is really just an extension of 2020. I think a lot of people were looking toward the new year as some sort of reprieve from everything that we experienced last year. And the reality is it's all, it's all just continuing. And so people have to really take that mindset going into this year. And, and return to normalcy is really going to require a vast majority of the population raising their hand and selecting to get uh, one of these vaccines that have been developed. And so Team Rubicon, knowing that we're still going to be tested by Mother Nature, we're still going to be responding to disasters throughout the year in this COVID environment. We know that we have a lot of work to do rolling up our sleeves and helping these cities, these counties, these states and healthcare systems uh, to administer this vaccine. Um, our, our doctors and nurses are taxed. They've been overworked for the last nine months. Uh, that's going to continue. Uh, we need to make sure that they can focus on what they do best and, and that Team Rubicon can take a lot of the lift for, for these vaccines rolling out nationwide. Uh, when you think about what we have ahead of us, um, this is the largest logistical challenge this nation has faced since the landing at D-Day or the Berlin Airlift. Uh, we have to you know, stick 700 million needles in arms at minimum over the course of the next seven to 10 months. And so it's going to require all hands on deck and Team Rubicon plans on you know, playing a big role in that. Well, we hope you'll come back perhaps in a few months and, and give us an update on, on your progress. Jake Wood, thank you so much for joining our podcast today. And listeners, we will have links to the Team Rubicon website and Jake's two books, Once a Warrior, but also Take the Lead in our show notes. Jake, have a great day. Thanks again. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Linda. Now time for the red questionnaire. This segment is featured in every episode of the podcast where we ask the same questions to different guests to understand what inspires them and makes them tick. In this episode, I welcome Gus Worland, widely known in Australia as a television and radio host and passionate advocate for building mental fitness. Gus started the Gotcha for Life Foundation in 2017 to encourage Australians to speak up, express their emotions, and ensure they all have a close friend in life that they can go to when times are tough. Now Gotcha for Life is bringing its message to the U.S. and U.K. with aim to build mental fitness in local communities through social connections, emotional muscle, and resilience. Hey Gus, thanks so much for joining us today. Thrilled to have you. Nancy, Dan Marino, good to uh, talk to you. <laughs> and uh, I do hear through the grapevine you are the fantasy football champion of 2020. So congratulations. I feel very honored to be chatting to you today. Oh, thank you so much for mentioning that. I'm sure James Wright will really, really appreciate that. Uh, Gus, you know, we're, we're kicking off 2021. Um, and to just take a step back and reflect on uh, the year that Gotcha for Life had. Um, and uh, your team wrapped up the year with some really compelling research. And I thought maybe we could take a minute or two to talk about that and what Gotcha for Life is doing with that. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do that, Nancy. I mean, I've always sort of thought around research that it's a little bit overrated. I've always sort of felt everyone should know that there's a problem going on in this country in Australia, but also in the States and also actually everywhere around the world. But I do find if you need support, especially government support, you need to have research and you need to be able to prove there's a problem even though everyone probably knows it just by having a conversation with their friends and family that everyone's going through some really tough times at the moment uh, even poor even before the the pandemic we were struggling in this country um, and I know you guys have been battling with it as well so it was important um, James Wright 
um, your leader said to me, mate, you've just got to get, you've just got to bite the bullet, spend the money, get the research done. And then that way you have information backing up what you're talking about. And that gives you um, that feeling of authority. Yeah, for sure. Um, and out of that research, uh, we found some really compelling stats, not just about what was happening in Australia during the pandemic, um, but also here in the States and in the UK. 7% uh, of Americans contemplated suicide due to COVID-19's impact on their mental well-being. This figure is slightly less than the one in 10 that we see in Australia and in the UK. So Gus, what is Gotcha for Life doing with this? And what are we asking people to do so we can help bring these numbers down and keep people's spirits up? Look, it's scary figures, Nancy, isn't it? And I reckon that it, those numbers are actually light. I think a lot of people, when they're doing these type of conversations or doing these type of surveys, um, they're probably a bit more positive than negative. So yeah. that's a bottom line, absolutely. So for us, it's all about not sort of necessarily, we sort of knew those figures. We understood that a lot of people going through a lot of tough times. Um, I mean, the number one thing when it comes to suicides is, is, is financial stress and relationship stress. And that's one thing that all of us, I think, have had over the last uh, year or so at least. So we knew the numbers would be horrific. Um, so what we've always done is sort of said, the only way we, we believe that you can help this situation is by educating people on how to have a conversation of gravity, a conversation away from banter, a conversation away from where we're comfortable. And um, I know we love talking about football, we love talking about sports, we love talking about family, the weather, the odd joke that we might get told. We're very good and comfortable in most of those surroundings, but we're not comfortable in having a conversation any deeper than that. And that's certainly in this country, and I'm assuming it's the same in the States and the UK, is that we actually have to learn how to have that conversation. How do we sit in some, some real vulnerable silence? How do we have a conversation where we ask a question and we don't fill the silence with just banter? Because as soon as I ask you a question that I believe is really personable, and, and I love you, and I want you to tell me the truth, you don't want that person to feel uncomfortable. So we continually keep talking and talking, eventually never get their answer, or if we do, the answer is never deep enough for us to actually go somewhere that could help you. So what we're trying to do is, through the Tomorrow Man and the Tomorrow Woman program, is learn what it takes to be a man, what it learns to be a, what it, what it learns to be a woman, today compared to when the rules were set all those years ago. Because we are living up to a set of standards which are very, very difficult um, to do. So what it takes to be an Aussie man today is very different to when those rules were built 100 years ago. So the same thing with the ladies. So we need to build a new set of rules and we need to let these youngsters know you don't have to live up to that stereotype, which is impossible, that was built all those years ago. It's not disrespectful to your grandparents or your great-grandparents who set those rules. We're just living in a different world now. So let's set that new set of rules. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. And I suppose the number one thing, Nancy, for me is never worry alone. If that's just the one thing that we learn, then right. at least you're telling someone how you truly feel. Because most of us, go around bumbling around in our own heads without actually explaining how we feel. We have our mask on, we have our armor on and we just get into the world. And there's certainly times where you need that resilience, but most of the time it would be lovely to have one person in your life who has got you for life that you can have that conversation with warts and all, and they won't care. They love you. There's no judgment. And at least you've got that one person that you can be totally real with. Cause I don't think many of us have that. 
And I believe suicide is a death of loneliness. And that's because we're bumbling around in our own heads too much. So we need to have that. We need to man up and speak up rather than man up and shut up, which is a lot, which is what a lot of us have been told. That's right. And Gotcha for Life is doing something about that with a campaign to encourage everybody to mind their mate, right? Yeah, exactly. So mind your mate Monday. I mean, I want every I wanted to be mind your mate every day, but it but it was a nice it was a nice way of explaining it. Mind your mate Monday is every Monday morning as you're going to work or when you wake up, just set your alarm five minutes earlier or or the last ten minutes of work. Do this. Just check in with someone in your life and let yeah. them know that you're thinking of them. And it can just be a text message. It can be an email. It can be a, fa a FaceTime. It's one thing that the pandemic has proven is that technology has stood up to the test. So we can use technology just to let people know that you're thinking of them. And there's nothing quite like getting a message from someone saying, hey, I love you. I'm thinking about you. I hope you have a good week this week. It just allows you to think that you're not alone. And I think that will help. And if we do that to one or two mates every single Monday, that's 100 people every that's single right. year that we are getting in contact with. And uh, I love sending a text message, which is a little bit, it, 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 it can make you feel uncomfortable, but I write, I love you. And I actually write the words out, no emojis. I love you. I miss you. Look forward to seeing you soon. Kiss, hug, kiss, hug. Now I just send it. And some people just go, what are you, lunchtime drinking? Um, <laughs> you know, and, or, or was this for me? I'm like, yeah, it was for you. I was thinking about you. And it just starts a conversation. Um, and we, if we do that with a whole lot of different people every Monday, we'll slowly but surely connect the world up. And I think everyone needs to know that they're not alone in this world. It's tough enough as it is with people around you, with your crew, with your village. You don't want to be doing this stuff alone. So this is a simple way of just letting people know that you're thinking about them. And people can participate by going to the Gotcha for Life website, right? And also um, they can play around with what kind of messages that they want to send to their mate by going to uh, the Gotcha for Life Instagram page. Uh, yep. You guys have a great filter going where maybe they can get some inspiration for how to reach out to their mate. That's exactly right. So it's all there. We're, we're trying to spoon, spoon feed everyone as much as possible because we do understand it's a little harder for some people than it is for others. So yeah. there's lots of ideas there on the Instagram page with that filter and also at uh, gotchaforlife.org. It gives you all the information that you need. And, uh, and please come to me. Uh, on all my socials as well. I'm very happy to talk to anyone associated with Habas about, uh, you know, just giving you any tips that you might need to get uh, in contact with a mate and just let them know that you love them and you're thinking about them. That's brilliant, Gus. Um, thanks for that. And then now um, let's roll into our red questionnaire. Uh, so this okay. is the, the segment where we, uh, every episode we welcome a different guest, but we also always ask them the same questions in order to understand what inspires them and what makes them tick. So let's dig in, okay, Gus? Okay. All right. So tell us, what was your first job? My first job was, I actually, Hugh Jackman had the shift between 4 p.m. and 12 p.m., which was midnight. I then took over at midnight to 8 a.m., and it was at Shell Warunga, which is a service station uh, where you actually didn't actually fill up the, the cars for anyone. You just waited in the cash area, and we sold, you know, food and magazines and lollies and cigarettes and stuff, and it was in a very nice area, so, you know, no crime, no drama, and we used to wear tartan shorts, with our uh, Shell Warunga um, badged uh, shirt and thongs. 
and it was $87 for a shift, which I think works out to be about, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks your money. So it was good money for the time. And that's what got us through university. It gave us our drinking money. So this was, I was about to ask you how old you were then. So this was back in college. Yeah, so basically 1986, I finished school. 87, went on a gap year to England mm. and just mucked around basically for a year and traveled Europe. And then 1988, started a public relations and marketing course. And that that's the job that I got for that. So I just turned 19. So nowadays, are you an early riser or are you one to burn the midnight oil? No, I've already done my, I did a 5.30 workout today at my gym. I've been doing breakfast radio here in Sydney, Australia for up until last November for 11 years. So that was a 3.30 alarm in at, wow. in at work, trying to work out jokes and trying to work out smart ass responses to life by 4.30 with a group <laughs> of writers and helpers and so forth. So yeah, I, I'm definitely an early riser. I think the best time of the day is between 5.30 and 7.30. That's very positive, upbeat people out there doing their thing before all the miserable, grumpy people turn up at about 7.30. And so you probably rarely make it to midnight these days then, Gus? No way. Like New Year's <laughs> not so long ago, Nancy, I was in Betty Buys before nine o'clock. We have nine o'clock fireworks here off Sydney Harbour and then we've got the midnight fireworks. I've always tricked my kids into thinking the 9pm ones were the midnight ones when they were little and they still laugh about it now. They're, of course, older and out and about doing what they're doing. But yeah, no, I'm a... If I'm not in bed by nine o'clock, it's a, it's, it's a strange, I don't know why I would be up any later than that. That's a creative play they're playing on the nine o'clock fireworks. Just for the yeah. early risers, Sydney does that, I take it. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> All right. Uh, how many stamps are in your passport? If you had uh, to count. Yeah, lots. Uh, that's the one thing about Australians, Nancy. We're, we're so far away from everywhere. So if you decide to have a crack at life, then you just got to get up and at them. So... Uh, I just turned 18 by a couple of weeks and I hit the road and went to England and did all of Europe with a whole lot of mates and stuff. And then I went back to England again after my college and married my, my now wife. Um, and we have done a whole lot of travel together. So through Asia, through Europe, um, we have done New Zealand around here, Fiji, the Pacific Islands. Yeah, and the only place that I really, really want to go that I never got to um, so far is Russia. Um, Russia, I know the, politically might be a bit how you're going, but I, I just love the thought of going to Russia for a week and chilling out and having some, I love going to wine bars and just trying to talk to locals. And, you know, most people can speak English or Australian. So we sort of, yeah. you know, mate, how you going? And just start a conversation. I'd, I'd like to do that. That's the only place that I really haven't been that I'd love to go. I've loved your country. I've loved um, the UK and Europe. Um, yeah, I've always loved being in, in America. I love this. I love your sport. So every year, you know, whatever time of year you are, you've always got football or ice hockey or baseball or, or something to watch. So I love that. Right. That's always a good conversational starter, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, we talked a bit before uh, about football and the games that you've been to. Uh, I would encourage you to visit Seattle. Uh, one, for it being an amazing city, and two, an amazing place to catch a football game. They're known uh, for being the 12th man. And um, being yeah. in that stadium and hearing that crowd roar is really something to see in person. So next time you're on this side of the pond, um, see if Jacko can get you in one of those games. Jacko's awesome. The only sporting event that I haven't been to yet is the Super Bowl that I really want to go to. 
And uh, he got some tickets for a mate of ours years ago, which was oh. fantastic. So, yeah, I'll definitely be – I said to him, one of my bucket lists is to go to the new stadium in Dallas because I've been a Cowboys fan ever since my dad brought me home a T-shirt when I was like five. And that's the one stadium I want to go to. And But I've always had a – I've done TV shows here over here in Australia and I always thought just going to American sports and sitting with American sports fans to let – everyone know what that team means to that city or what that yeah. means to their family or that community. I think that uh, 30 for 30 on that would be absolutely perfect. I would definitely watch that. And good <laughs> to note, two things on Gus Worland's bucket list, Russia and Dallas. You got it. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, so Gus, tell us, who is your favorite, who or what is your favorite social media follow and why? A number one follow would be Steve Smith, who might not mean anything to you, but he is like the number one cricket batsman in the world. Um, and cricket's one of, like baseball is to you guys, our summer sport. So uh, he and I have done a lot of work together at Gotcha for Life, become really good friends. So um, I suppose Smithy would be the number one in terms of, you know, someone I follow socially. Well, that makes good sense. Cricket seems to take an on uh, taken off everywhere but here. Um, yeah. But also a, a big advocate advocate uh, for gotcha certainly makes good sense that he's one of your favorite follows yes that's right he was he had, a, he had a drama in his life a couple of years ago and we reached out to each other and he's told that story to many school kids and, and corporates in the last year or so and he's been oh really open honest and vulnerable about some decisions that were made and how it affected him and there's nothing quite like having someone you look up to showing that vulnerability and it allows you to think, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And that's what we, that's what more men need to do in particular. We need to take off that mask and be manly enough to be honest rather than BSing ourselves all the time. So that's why I respect him so much. Um, plus, I really enjoyed, I obviously enjoyed cricket. Um, I have a show here on, in Australia called The Cricket Tragic, and that's what I am. So to have a cricket mm. tragic following the number one cricketer who also does work for your foundation, it's a... It's a perfect storm. It's a win-win situation. Yeah. Gus, tell me, cliches are cliches for a reason. What's your favorite? Um, I, I've changed a few. I, I, I say a lot of cliches, but yeah. I, I saw this question and I wanted to make sure I gave you a really good answer because I wanted to respect it. Um, to, to me, it's don't judge a book by its cover. And the reason why I say that, and I probably wouldn't have said that five years ago, but I've been on a really big journey myself in the last five years, ever since I did a show called Man Up, um, which is a show basically challenging masculinity in this country and why we lose so many blokes to suicide. And it's me getting myself out of my own little bubble that I had and actually realizing that every single person has a story Underneath all of us is some real uncertainty and there's some, some stuff going on that everyone needs to respect. And I think, I think in my past, I might have been a little bit too judgmental about people, how they looked or the jobs they had or the clothes that they wore or whatever it might be. So I'm really trying to teach my kids now that you just treat everyone the same way that you would like to be treated. That's another cliche, I suppose. But and it's an easy one to forget because we are so busy and we have got stuff going on in our worlds and stuff. But that to me is absolute key. If you just see anyone and just say good day to them, show them some respect, it really, you don't quite know how that could change someone's day. 
um, especially older people, they hardly ever have a conversation these days unless it's a transaction. Yeah. So if you just see an old person, say, G'day, how are you? I hope you have a really good day today. Um, that could really, really change. And they look at you a little bit weird, but if you say it lot, if you say it enough, it becomes a habit and you might end up making someone's day by just doing something so simple again. So that, that for me is my cliche. I love that. It's a, a simple but powerful message um, that can go a long way. I fully agree. It's the one then, thing I remember, Nancy, from university. I don't remember hmm. much, actually, um, but keep it simple, silly was yeah. you know, the, kiss, the kiss formula. Um, it used to be keep it simple, stupid, but we're not allowed to sort of do that anymore. But right. yeah, it's, it really just keep life as simple as possible. I was talking to my daughter's boyfriend the other night, other day, and he's 19. He's got all this stuff going on in his head and what's he going to do, university, da, da, da. I said, mate, three things. You've got your university sorted out. That's a tick. You've picked your uni. You're doing your subjects. Great. Job. You need to be able to pay for stuff. So how much yeah. time have you got? You've worked out. You've got 10 hours a week. Okay, get that part-time job. And then you've got to do some activity, some sport. You love your rugby. So pick a club and join it. They're the three things. Don't even complicate yourself even any more than that. And right. he's done that. And he just feels better now that, that he's just something so simple was bumbling around in his head. No, mate, keep it simple. And um, and now he's doing it. So hopefully, you know, that will help him. And I think it'll help everyone that's hopefully listening to this just to keep life as simple as possible by working on the things that are really important and just staying in contact with people. I agree fully. So Gus, the last question that we ask is a great way to close the episode to, to leave everybody on a high note. And so with that, I ask you, what is your message of encouragement and enlightenment? Oh, look, for me, this world is hard enough to, to, to live in. So you need to have people around you that have got your back, people around you that love you. So show some vulnerability. Let people know how you truly feel. Don't put the mask on all the time. Don't continually have your armor on, making out that everything's okay all the time. Sure, you need resilience in certain situations. Of course you do. But find, please find that one person who has got you for life, that one person you can have that conversation with without any judgment. And that's hard to find sometimes. I know people have lots of mates, but how many true friends do they necessarily have that they can have a conversation outside of banter with? So please write down on a pen and paper today, who are the people in your life that you believe have got your back no matter what? And then ring one of those people up and say, hey, I was listening to this guy from Australia. He's got this thing called gotcha for life. You're my gotcha for life person, that person that I've, I've got you for life, not for the next three months or for this job or for this semester. This is for life and I've got you back. You can always talk to me. Um, so that to, that to me, I think if we all did that, if we all had a, someone in our life that we could talk to like that, then the suicide rate would go down massively and we would have so much richer friendships. And I just think our lives would be better. That my certainly my life is better because of this. And I've been doing it now for five years or so. And everyone that seems to do it thinks the same thing. So go for it. I think that is great advice for people to take as we start off 2021 and try to put 2020 in our rear view as much as we can. Um, yeah. So great words of advice for us to take and, and to start the year out right. Uh, so Gus, I thank you so much for your time um, and for joining us today. Nancy, Dan Marino, number one <laughs> fantasy football champion. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Gus. See you, mate. Thank you for joining the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. 
We hope you'll join us again for more of the latest communications, insights, and trends from the team at Red Havas. Please make sure to subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Don't forget to rate and review today's show. We'd love to hear from you.